Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads each week as Robert Shea and a celebrity guest host talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to another episode of Fed Heads. And I am joined this week by someone known to FedHeads, Charles Cooper, Managing Director of The Signal Group, as this month's guest host. I feel so fortunate to be here, and I'm a big fan of the program and uh, excited to, to chat a little bit about what's going on. You know, it's interesting that the listeners can't really judge authenticity, but I think you pulled that off. You looked actually <laughs> uh, genuine there. I was reading it off a cue card, but it's legit. So Charles, tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to become a lobbyist consultant. Yeah, absolutely. I, I worked on the Hill for a little over a decade, 11 years, and I worked in the, a little bit in the Senate and in the House. And I, I really just sort of fell in love with the policy, sort of broad ecosystem, all the parts of it and how Congress operated and how it interacted with the rest of the federal government. And so after about uh, 11 years, I decided it was time to do something else. And I, I tried out going to a firm to really sort of help more of the private sector better understand what's happening in DC and help navigate some of their policy agendas. And that's where we are today. We're grateful you're helping Grant Thornton. Well, do that, I'm that, that very happy thing. about it. So you've got deep understanding of the federal government, perfect co-host for fed heads <laughs> um w- one of the things you do for clients is forecast uh what the policy landscape looks like going forward so i'm interested in you know here we are facing midterms in a few months primaries almost every week that shake up the landscape going forward what gets done what doesn't tell us the future well i really want to hear about the exciting things of uh, like what you're watching and other stuff but quickly you know I think we're at a really interesting time with the election coming up. It's a consequential election. There's a good chance that uh, the House and maybe the Senate could actually switch. A power shift in D.C., as you know from your time on the Hill, is a really big deal. It means everything changes. What could become law, what will become law, what passes, who's in charge, who's making decisions. So it's an interesting time to be here to watch a lot of that happening. I think uh, the, the... the most likely scenario right now is that there will be a, a pretty significant shift, especially in the House. And candidly, if Republicans get the House, what happens in the Senate is almost less consequential because Republicans will be able to sort of adjust w- what the president's focus will be because they will not let it out of, out of the House. So it's, a, it's an interesting time. I don't think there's going to be a ton happening for the remainder of this year until the election. Then we'll probably have a really busy lame duck session post-election. And then depending on the election, you know, next year could be really interesting. So that lame duck session you mentioned uh, post midterm election is when we'd likely see a budget get enacted. Is that right? What's your prognostication on that? Yeah. You know, it's, it's always a little tough to know how policymakers come back from an election and whether they want to just sort of lock up their, their offices and go home, or if they want to get everything done, depending on what the election outcome is. In a lot of cases, when there is a big shift, everybody wants to sort of get a bunch of things through Congress and clear the deck for a new agenda coming in. And I think that's when there's not as much sort of political risk out there after the election. So people generally band together and get things done. 
So I think the the budget or or the twelve appropriations bills that's the most likely time when they'll get finished, not before then. Yeah, you mentioned the Senate flipping not being that consequential, but one of the things the Senate does is confirm nominees, and they're responsible for confirming or rejecting nominees to regulatory bodies, nominees to the judiciary. And I think that will have a big impact on what the last two years of the Biden administration looks like, depending on who's in control of that body. Absolutely. And I don't want any of my Senate friends to criticize me for that. I I really meant more in terms of the Biden agenda will take a significant hit if Republicans control one one chamber. Um, but think, certainly, you think your Senate friends will be listening? Absolutely. This? Okay, good. Yeah. Um, That's why we invited you. They're actually, you know, taking a recess this week just to listen to this episode. So I'm pretty Excellent. excited about it. Good priorities. But I do think that, you know, the the ability for the Senate to control who's going to be running agencies is huge. And there's a lot of nominations that are going to be left out there. So uh, certainly that will be very impactful. Anything else you think gets done between now and the midterms? I think they'll potentially do this China competition bill. They want to do that before July 4th. I, I think that's a little touch and go, frankly. So we'll, we'll see about that. There's some smaller bipartisan efforts that get done. There's clearly, they're ramping up a lot of hearings, but in terms of big, broad policy, outside of the Ukraine and COVID and, and other uh, domestic issues, I, I think it's going to be tough to get things done prior to the election. So odds are one, one, at least one of the bodies flips to the other party. And in any case, the oversight engine of Republicans is going to gear up significantly. And that's going to look pretty nasty. But there are some more substantive ways that Congress could focus its oversight efforts, right, on the regulatory agenda of the administration. Some of what we talk about on this program, like GAO's high risk list, overlap and duplication. What are the prospects for a substantive oversight focus? You know, I think a lot of it depends on what the election turnout is. If the election turnout keeps a very narrow majority, I think the the oversight function will be a little bit different than if there's a very large majority. But we can't ignore the fact that, you know, as soon as January 3rd hits and the new Congress is brought back into session, everyone's going to be looking at the presidential election. This is sort of a unique time if there's a flip. So as you know, nothing's really done in D.C., within an election window that doesn't think about the election. So I think, unfortunately, just like the rest of the policy apparatus, there will be some political function to oversight and everything else. Hopefully, though, there's there's a lot of members that want to take a comprehensive look at programs and really think about over the long term, beyond just the traditional two-year election window, what can we do to make things better? And certainly there will be a section of members that get together to do that. It will be interesting to see how many. You know, there's a declining trust in government has been something that I've worried about. And nothing in the last two, six years has uh, done anything to reverse that trend. Our response to the pandemic, the economic crisis. I've been watching Netflix, very excited that a Fedheads worthy, totally nerd out on the government (laughs) series called The G Word um, has been running. It is a Barack Obama, Michael Lewis produced series that takes a pretty accessible look at the federal government. Um, Michael Lewis, famous for having written the book Moneyball and The Blind Side. 
also did a book on the presidential transition from Obama to Trump. It's fascinating. But the the show, so far I've watched a show on food and the way the government oversees and, and ensures safety of the food supply, weather and how it predicts, shares data on, and helps people prepare for uh, severe weather, uh, and then finance. Now, all of these, I've got to sort of step back and, and <laughs> not sort of copy edit the details because it takes broad strokes and it's got a little bit of a political spin, but I highly recommend folks, uh, if they've got Netflix, uh, send me, send me a note, I'll share my password and check it out. It's hosted by Adam Conover, comedian. So it's pretty funny, accessible. Um, and I do think it's an opportunity to share, you know, what the good that the government does learn some of the headwinds it faces in order to get its job done. It's just a, a little drop in the bucket in trying to reverse that distrust in government. It sounds like it's probably more focused on the executive branch. It totally is, except to the extent that it advertises how industry advocates for its point of view. So the perspective the show takes is that the agricultural industry advocates for lax um, inspections and that weather companies would rather not see the National Weather Service or other such agencies dip their toe into competing with them, mm. like creating weather apps. And then, of course, in the finance area, a lot of discussion about how large companies did better than the average American in getting support for the government in response to the pandemic and the economic crisis. Well, you've been in the middle of it uh, for a good portion of your career. I mean, are you pretty aligned with how they are portraying that or? Well, it's interesting on the food one, having done work for the Food Safety and Inspection Service and looked at all these programs, a better, a more risk-based inspection regime might be more effective than a carcass-by-carcass smell-and-touch approach. Likewise, I'm not sure we ought to trust the National Weather Service to make the most innovative weather app. I don't think they should be prohibited from trying, but I think in, in those instances, they play a little bit fast and loose mm. trying to paint industry as the bad guy, which I don't think nobody needs to stand up for them. But nonetheless, it's a very approachable way of looking at the structure of government, advertising incredible things it's done. Because you look at the um, trend in food safety from Teddy Roosevelt days to today, we have one of the safest food supplies um, in the world. And with weather, countless lives have been saved and property destruction reduced as a result of our ability to better predict and warn people of impending weather disasters. Interesting. I need to check that out. You know, I've always thought that when you look at the federal government, the trust in government has declined pretty pretty significantly just over, not just recent time, but over over time in general. And I always think of two things. One is all the great things that you were just talking about are really done by people that the average American never sees. You know, they see the leaders of all these agencies who largely are political figures, and they're not really seeing the, the great work day to day that's being done in a lot of these programs. Certainly they see when, when there's work that's not so great being done, but they just don't see a lot of it. And the other is from the congressional side, we're just seeing a very different type of policymaker that wants to run for office. The metric for success is very different. It's not the days where somebody 
comes to DC dreaming about passing the next new deal. It's they're dreaming about getting on Fox News or CNN or MSNBC. The metric now is I can I can be more impactful, more influential by going a communications route rather than a legislative route. And I think we're seeing that a lot. And those two combining factors that a lot of the people in the federal government that are doing so much, frankly, in both executive and the legislative branch, people just don't know enough about. And secondly, the people that are really interested in the in the jobs to lead the federal government are are just coming at it from a little bit of a different angle than traditionally they they were certainly when you and I were there. Well, that's certainly a rosy picture to paint. Um, but that's exactly what this show is trying to get at. Advertise not only what people do, but the people who do it. I was listening to the Smartless podcast the other day. Michael Lewis was being interviewed and he mentioned the Service to America medals that is put on by the Partnership for Public Service every year and mentioned that it was his mission through this program and, and other ways to really tout the good work that the public servants are doing for the American people. So that's why I asked you that question about oversight. Is there an opportunity that oversight will be focused in a constructive way rather than a more political, poisonous way? Right. And to reiterate it, I think behind the scenes, a lot of really good things are happening. In the, when the big lights come up and, and the reporters are out, you know, it's just a little bit more of a political environment than it's been in the past. Well, Fedheads is here to talk about the good that's going on, and I'm delighted you'll be joining us for the next several episodes. To talk I am about too. It. Thank you very much for having me. I feel so lucky and honored. Thanks for listening to the Fedheads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes.